Blue collar people are some of the grittiest, toughest, bravest human beings on the planet. Every building, bridge, and road was built on the backs of their hard work. Every piece of raw material was mined by their calloused hands. They manufacture our goods and transport them around the world. We see that strong outer shell, but there's more to every person than meets the eye. In this podcast, blue-collar business leaders tell their stories of courage and victory over crushing defeats. That's only possible because of a mental and emotional fortitude and a willingness to ask for help. It's our mission to bring hope to those of us who are strong on the outside, but may be living a life of quiet desperation on the inside. We'll do that by working together to tell the truth about the challenges we face and what it really takes to break through them. All right, everybody, this is Mick Carbo. I am your host of the Tragedy to Triumph podcast, and I'm here today with Mandy Keim. She is the Director of Safety for the AGC Washington. I'm really pumped to have Mandy on the show here today. She's got an amazing story to share. Uh, Mandy, will you say hello to everybody? Hey there. All right, cool. Yeah, thanks so much for being with us. And uh, I always like to start by uh, having my guests just introduce themselves. What would you like our audience to uh, know about you uh, personally, professionally, anything you'd like to share? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, Boy, there's so many ways that I could introduce myself, but I guess the simplest way, the way that I, I start with introducing myself is saying that I am a mom of triplets plus one. Um, and I've endured infertility, um, some, some near-death experience after having triplets, and a few other kind of life experiences that have forced my hand at being a good coper um, and to develop resilience under pressure. So I don't really have, um, in fact, when you invited me to this podcast, I thought to myself, man, I don't really have a tragedy, so to speak. Um, but I feel like I'm a pretty good coper, and hopefully those coping skills will parlay well into your listeners' needs and, you know, hopefully help someone. So um, to that end, I mean, I grew up with parents that loved me and invested in me, um, but I've had a few speed bumps along the way, as have many other people. Sure. Um, my parents divorced when I was only two, which, um, you know, if you're framing life, the way that I would frame that is it's a good thing. It's a good thing that my parents divorced. And because of that, I've gotten to, you know, really see two adult human beings go out and develop healthy, loving relationships with other people. <clears throat> and the result of those relationships are my three much younger siblings. So I have a sister that's 11 years younger than me, a brother that's 13 years younger than me, and another brother that's 21 years younger than me. Wow, so that's quite a spread. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My dad was done. He had me off the payroll and uh, I was, I literally got married the same, the same year that my brother was born. So um, kind of a funny story, but a good one, a really good one. So, um, and you know, to the, to the point of having speed bumps, I think, you know, like I said, we've all had speed bumps, but I had a couple of instances uh, while I was a very young child where I was molested by people that were close to me mm. that I trusted. Yeah. Um, and that certainly impacts how you approach life. Sure. Sorry. Yeah. Oh. 
hey, listen, uh, take your time. And I appreciate your willingness to share. Because like you said, you know, us being willing to share these stories to uh, to this audience, it's to help other people, right? And your courage in sharing is really extraordinary. So thank you. Thank you. Literally outside of like a handful of people, I don't talk about that. <laughs> so it yeah. just. Well, you know, to, to that point, Mandy, like it's, um, I'm really grateful to you and to all of our guests here because this this does take a tremendous amount of courage and willingness to to be vulnerable. And I think that's really the message that we're trying to get across is that, you know, most people have had some, you know, some stuff, right? Some hardships to go through and some challenges. And, you know, the only way to to work through it and to create a better life is to be willing to share. And you are. And I hope it inspires somebody else too. Me too. And honestly, I think that um, you know, we all go through crap, so to speak, but we also yeah. get to choose how those experiences either catapult us or hold us back. And, and, you know, my hope is, and, and I think that what I've developed with, you know, having to cope through different things is that um, the best way to survive, the best way to launch yourself is to take that crap and kind of cultivate it into fertilizer for what's going on in your world instead of, you know, wallowing in it and, and choosing, you know, to unpack and live in misery. Like yeah. you can, you can have struggles and that's fine. Everybody has those struggles and everybody has obstacles. But if, if you can make the conscious decision that, that, that bad thing that happened to you, isn't going to define you. Um, and granted, I mean, when these things happened to me, I was too young to make any sort of conscious decision about what to do with any of that. Um, however, I think that as I look back on it, um, that was the beginnings of me, um, learning how to keep in a positive headspace yeah, and learning how to keep, um, moving and, and keep, you know, keeping my wheelhouse, so to speak of, of trying to, to, to be positive. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's a, it's an amazing way to kind of reframe something like that. And it's, uh, it's awesome. Survival. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. I think, um, you know, pro professionally, um, I've had, had the privilege of being a safety professional for a number of years. Um, and I think that a lot of that has also shaped how I approach life now too. Yeah. getting to be in the safety realm means that I get to focus outside of myself. And, um, that can also be really beneficial in, in a lot of ways, right. It, it helps you if you're not always thinking, um, introspectively, but you're also thinking about others and, and taking other people into consideration. I think that it really helps you realize that uh, everyone has struggles. Everyone's been through some stuff um, and, and that you have the opportunity to use your experiences to uh, build connection with others. And that's a good thing. Yeah, that's uh, that's such a great um, 
leadership trait too. Like I know in your, I know in your role and, you know, you could, you could speak a little bit to that if you would like to about, um, you know, your, your role at the AGC. Uh, but for any, any leader listening to this, I mean, empathy is, is one of, I think the, the biggest character traits of a leader realizing and recognizing that everybody on our teams has gone through some stuff, right? You know, to, to your point, right? And, and that we need to remember that and, and be uh, empathetic. Yeah. yeah. And also in hearing other people's stories, you, you, can, you can put a little bit of a perspective, I guess, on what you've been through. You know, it, it may be different. Other people's experiences may be different, but, um, but having that perspective also helps you realize that you're not alone. So that's a really good thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, as far as my career, I mean, it's kind of funny. Most people that are in safety end up being in safety because, you know, somebody passed that hat to them somewhere along the line in their career and it just, they took it and it stuck. And, um, you know, not everybody wakes up one morning as a teenager and says, you know, I think I'm going to be a safety professional. Sure. And, and that sounds like a fun career, but that's literally my life is I, I really did choose this career when I was a teenager and I'm, I'm lucky to still get to do it. Um, I think that it plays well into my kind of people pleaser tendencies and, um, just wanting to help others and care for others. Um, I really kind of started out thinking I wanted to be a nurse like my mom and, um, my mom was an incredible nurse. Um, she worked ICU. She did all sorts of things. And, um, and I really look, look up to and admire that profession. Um, anybody in healthcare, honestly, it's a very selfless line of work. And I thought, oh man, this is great. But I really knew that my sensitivity and, and my heart, I wasn't going to be able to take the, the idea of losing patients and, and those kinds of things. And so I really had to redouble my thought process on career paths. And, um, so around that same time, you know, I obviously spent a lot of time with my dad in the summers and stuff. And so my dad worked in construction as a safety director and I would spend time in his office and ask questions and I would watch him and his leadership style and the way he engaged with people. And all of that seemed really cool. And honestly, on a more funny note, I thought, man, construction safety, like easiest job in the world. Nobody, <laughs> nobody's trying to get hurt. So, sure. I mean, sweet gig, man, tell everybody to be safe and, and collect a paycheck at the same time. Um, <laughs> the more I got into it, the more I realized that there was a lot more to it than that. Yeah, I bet. And that's what's, that's what's honestly kept me in this career. But, um, but I've worked in and around AGC for pretty much my entire adult life. And wow. Through this process, I've gotten to see how contractors do their work, how construction companies uh, approach their workforce, how they approach the work at hand. And all of that stuff really helped me on a journey of looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And then in recent years, thanks to our mutual friend, Cal Bayer, um, I've had the, the just profound opportunity to work on mental health and suicide prevention for our industry. And that really drives home, I think, a lot of the the motivators I have for this career anyway. So it's yeah. it's like a perfect fit, right? I, I care so much about people. And this is an area where notoriously we're not caring 
enough for people, for human beings and making that caring connection. And it's not because we don't want to, it's that it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable in the culture of construction to really dig deep into your feelings and and those kinds of things. And so being vulnerable is something that I think is, is helpful in these conversations. So um, I think that that has been a good calling for me to be able to, um, to use my willingness to be vulnerable and sometimes be willing to have the uncomfortable conversations with people. If it means it makes a difference. Oh, that's awesome. It, the, the, the entire industry is lucky and should be grateful to have you sitting in that seat. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right, Mandy. Well, so, so tell us about, uh, tell us about your obstacle, the big obstacle that you came here to talk about today. How did, <laughs> I'm, I'm so curious, this is like such a fascinating story and I'd love to hear about uh, how you would share that. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know that I would call them obstacles, right? I think that I've had multiple speed bumps. I've had multiple, you know, um, detours <laughs> yeah, okay. along the way. Um, and, and that's, um, you know, that's true of life anywhere. But, um, like I mentioned earlier, uh, I was molested at a very young age. Um, and there's a lot of pieces around that time frame of life that, that I don't remember. Yeah, I think that that's um, I genuinely think that that's like your your brain protecting you, right? Um, yeah. However, there are pieces of that experience that I do vividly remember and um, and replay. And now that I'm a mom, I think that that changes too. I think it actually makes it harder to process. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a kid, you're just like, this is what happened to me. But when you are an adult and you look at that um, and you think of, you know, the like for me, the four precious lives that I'm in charge of, um, that's a big job. And the world is a lot scarier now than it was when these things happened to me. And so, um, you know, it's it's something that I I think about a lot, but it's not something that I would say um, paralyzes me, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hold me back. And of course it's been 30 years since, uh, any of that has happened and time does help. Um, I think another speed bump along the way is, um, not necessarily my parents' divorce or the impetus behind my parents' divorce, but the fact that one of them was living in Washington, one of them was living in California. And so when I look back on those years, um, before I became an adult, it, you know, they, my parents were divorced when I was two. Um, and so I spent all of my childhood really back and forth between them. Wow. And, through different States too. Yeah. Lots of travel, lots of frequent yeah. flyer miles. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so I think that you, you are forced to, uh, become nimble and to become adaptable in those kind of circumstances. Um, and 
the alternative is you become an angry person. And I think we've all seen that. We've all seen people who are, um, who've gone through divorce and, and, you know, a lot of divorce stories are hard and they're challenging, especially for the kids. And I can't say that that's entirely my story. Um, you know, my, my parents had their moments, but for the most part, like I said, two very loving parents that were invested in me and my, my success doesn't make it any easier to bounce back and forth. No. Um, but I think that that, um, experience for me made me feel, um, for lack of better words, almost, um, disposable. Like if I wasn't really good, if I wasn't, you know, impressing everyone and, and a high achiever that that would somehow make me, because I was the only one of, of their union. So, so it would make me, you know, less desirable than the future siblings that would come along or, or just, you know, that, um, you know, for lack of better terms, the baggage that comes along, you know, on any part of it. So, so I did, I would say I did spend a lot of time like trying to be, um, and that's probably why I'm wired this way today. Um, trying to be the overachiever and the one that, you know, gets everything right the first time and the one that doesn't need a lot of, you know, support or assistance or whatever. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that they would both tell you, um, that I, I am kind of a serial coper, <laughs> like whatever comes at yeah. me, I'm like, all right, what are we going to do with this? And <laughs> and off we go. Um, so yeah. <laughs> um, to that end, I would say, you know, another kind of speed bump along the way is, um, as a teenager, I was diagnosed with a, um, disorder called polycystic ovarian syndrome, which, okay. um, which is really interesting because um, it's, it's fairly common, but it's not talked about. And a lot of women have PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and have all the telltale symptoms, but doctors just don't want to dig deeper into what the source of the problem is. It's easier to just throw a pill at it to deal with this symptom or tell you to lose weight to deal with this symptom mm-hmm. instead of trying to dig to the source of the problem and solve that source of the problem. And there is no cure for it. But um, the way I found out is I, I had recurring um, ovarian cysts rupture. And you can imagine as a teenager, um, you're still kind of new to the whole, my body and what it does and, oh, yeah, sure. and all of that. And um, you spend time going to doctors and hospitals and um, having them check you out and having people, you know, accuse you of being pregnant and accuse you of these things. And, and it's like, you know, I know that what's going on in my body is not right and it's right. not supposed to feel right that like this. Um, and so I did, I had to, I had to advocate for myself. My mom, obviously being the amazing nurse that she was also helped advocate, but, um, but with a diagnosis like that came a lot of, uh, you know, between doctors not really knowing and also just not having a lot of information out there about it. Wait, is it, it is it about, can I just ask you about that? Is it, yeah. Is it that they don't know about it enough or is because you said something earlier about that they don't uh, they tend to not want to dig deep enough to to find out about what's going on? Do you have any sense as to why that is? Yeah, it's it's because it's um, 
it's a systemic problem. Um, so it, it's an endocrinology problem. Mm-hmm. So my endocrinology doesn't work the way yours does, or a, you know, a, a healthy individual does. Um, not to say that I'm not healthy, but um, so um, it's a syndrome. It's not a disease. And when it's a syndrome, it means that it manifests itself in different characteristics in different people. <clears throat> so I've met a lot of people over the years that have PCOS. Some of them have all of the same symptoms as me. Some of them have some of the symptoms as I do. So it's it's hard to get a definitive hard line on, on what it is um, because it, it will manifest itself differently in different people. But also um, it's an endocrine disor- disorder, but it shows symptoms in your reproductive system. And so when, when you think of all that put together, it's like, you know, endocrinologists help people with diabetes and, and, you know, liver and thyroid and different things like that. And, and where you're showing symptoms is your ovaries, which is your reproductive tract. And so, um, so there's a lot of different ways that, um, PCOS can be really hard to nail down and there's no magic bullet for it. There's no like here, take this pill. In fact, um, I've tried all sorts of medications over the years. And, um, currently one of the medications that I take, I have to give myself injections every day. And that's just part of, part of dealing with it. It's not the hardest thing in the world, but it's also not pleasant and it's super expensive. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. So, um, and, and I've tried other, I've tried other, um, treatments or suggestions. And one of them um, that comes to mind when I talk to people about my journey with PCOS is I took medication when I was in college because the doctor that I was seeing at the time was convinced that this was going to help kind of reset my system and help me out. And what it ended up doing was helped me gain a hundred pounds in a year. Wow. Um, and, and it caused some even worse infertility issues and endocrine dysfunction issues than I had even before I started all of it. Um, and, and I really, I mean, after that, I really went to a very dark place. I bet that's um, a lot to, to be with. And, and feeling like, you know, here I am in the middle of nowhere at college and I have this doctor, you know, trying to help fix me and all it's doing is making things worse. And, you know, you're out on an, as it out in the big world as an adult for the first time, and you don't really know how to advocate for yourself or even what questions to ask. You're just like, you're a medical professional and you're supposed to know. (laughs) Yeah. You're, you're supposed to fix me. And, and that didn't work. So, um, and I was told with this diagnosis that it was pretty certain that I would not be able to have kids, Mm. um, which was a big dream of mine from, from childhood on. And, and so there's a lot of other things that come with that. Like the shame of feeling like I'm a woman and my body is designed to do this. I am designed to make a baby and, and it, it's not going to work for me. So feeling again, um, you know, like there's something wrong with you or that you're disposable because you're not, you know, enough, I guess. So, yeah. But obviously, as um, we already know, with the fact that I'm a mom of triplets plus one, um, you know, that did change and and um, in a big way. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like a, a pretty, pretty dramatic way. So uh, so you're you're going through treatments and on medication, you're being told these uh, that you're not able to have kids. And I'm sure that, you know, to your point, it was a very, very tough time. So tell us about the whole 
process from that to having four children. Yeah, <laughs> quite a roller coaster to be yeah. real honest. Um, yeah, so um, after after we got married, after I got out of college, um, we waited a few years and um, finally convinced him that you know it was kind of now or never if we were going to try. Uh, and I was able after a very short period of time with only two medications and not like fertility drugs and, and IVF and all of that stuff, I was able to get pregnant with our first child. Um, and we were actually only, uh, nine weeks along or so we had actually just told our family, um, the day before, and I had a subchorionic hemorrhage and ended up in the hospital and they told me I was going to lose the baby. Um, obviously Kendra is here and she's healthy and she's whole. So, um, that ended up in our favor, but again, another kind of scare on this fertility and health journey. Um, yeah. Roller coaster indeed. Yeah. So we had Kendra and, um, man, was I smitten with her. She is just, she is, she is magic in human form. Um, (laughs) beautiful. So, um, about a year after having her, I was like, okay, let's go ahead and try. And I convinced my husband, the big idea was, okay, well, let's try for one more. If we have another, I was pushing, I was like, ideally, I want to have three kids. I feel like three is a good number. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> there was no rational answer for that, but um, that's what I you wanted. Like, let's, let's let's have one more, see how it goes. And and then we'll try for a third. And, um, so we tried and tried and tried and nothing worked. And finally I did, uh, get pregnant and, um, it was like days after taking the pregnancy test, I was in extreme pain. Um, and, and like just very uncomfortable and, and felt not at ease. I didn't feel the same as I had with the previous pregnancy and, um, come to find out that kind of feeling of being uneasy, um, was that it was an ectopic pregnancy. And so I had to go in and they had to, um, do the injection to terminate the pregnancy and, um, really tough decision, right? Like I've, I've been on this roller coaster of trying to get pregnant for quite some time and it's not working and then it finally does work and then you're telling me that the pregnancy is not viable and I have to do something like I have to physically do something to terminate this pregnancy that feels really unfair yeah that's horrible um and so we battled back from that one got pregnant again um after um a few months and uh again tell the whole family because my whole family's been on this journey with me um and um very, very shortly after telling them I had a miscarriage. Wow. And I think the miscarriage was probably harder on me than the ectopic, even though the ectopic was more painful, just because then it started to set in how, how challenging my fertility situation really was. Right. And, and I wasn't able to just reframe it. Like I was mentally and emotionally exhausted and to, to give you a, an idea of what it's like to try to get pregnant with PCOS is I was literally taking medication, um, you know, not crazy fertility drugs, trying to have multiples or, you know, anything like that. And, 
I know a lot of people that have been through that journey and um, it's an, a very emotional, also expensive journey. Um, and it, it's, it's hard on you. Um, but I was, I was peeing on sticks every day to test my fertility levels. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was borderline neurotic trying to make this work because I felt like, you know, I I'll be damned if I'm going to be this broken. Like I have proof that I can have a child and yeah. I, I want, you know, so, so then it was almost like not a positive focus. <laughs> so, um, like kind of, kind of obsessive. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I can imagine that too, you know, like you, like you said, you, you have been diagnosed with this, with this condition and, you know, against certain odds, right. You get pregnant and have a baby. And then, you, you know, it's like, you got a, it's like, you got this taste of victory. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, you know, you're, you're, you're trying for more of what you want and kind of getting, you know, the stop sign put up. And I would say, I mean, I, I also felt like, um, a tremendous amount of guilt, I would say, and, and not guilt just because my body wasn't working, but because I was so laser focused on this particular issue, I wasn't being the wife that I should be. And I wasn't being the mom that I should be. Um, and, and so I was carrying all that around too, which is certainly unhealthy. Um, so we decided to go on a family vacation um, and we loaded up our trailer and my parents loaded up their trailer and we went to Yellowstone. And nice. while we were on this trip, I had a few heart to hearts with my mom and my husband. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not sure that this is the stop button, but I feel like this is the pause button. Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I'm not the person that I want to be on this journey. And, sure. and I don't, and I don't like it. And as much as I feel like I'm, I'm giving up, I, I got to take a break. And as luck would have it while we were on that trip, I ended up having um, a whole bunch of abdominal pain. I ended up in a hospital in Ennis, Wyoming, which I don't recommend because it was more like a veterinary hospital than a hospital hospital. Um, <laughs> wow. It's a little sketchy. Um but what we found from that is that I had an, a gigantic cyst on my ovary that had not been seen and it needed to come out. And that that was really, as we would later find out, really the cause of a lot of this struggle that I was going through. Oh, and, wow, really? And, and infertility. So we got back from the vacation, had the surgery. Um, so not at the veterinary. No, okay. no. I think my exact <laughs> words to my husband was something to the effect of do not let them cut me. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I will walk out of here on all fours if I have to, but this is not going down. <laughs> no. Um, so uh, another insight into how wildly stubborn I am. But anyway, um, I did have the surgery when we got back and our beloved doctor, um, Dr. Brown, um, he was like, you know what, you, sh you should wait about a month and then, you know, just give it a try, see what happens. Yeah. And so at, at his kind of suggestion, we went for it and found out right after that, that my sister, who is 11 years, my junior, um, was surprise pregnant. And, uh, um, that was definitely a moment for me because as much as I was overjoyed for her, it was just another one of those times 
Um, after four years of infertility struggles and seeing so many of my friends get pregnant and have kids and, and all this stuff, I'm like, well, shit, here's my sister, right? my own sister. And she's 11 years younger than me. And it wasn't intentional. And whoop, here she's pregnant. And, yeah. and I'm like driving myself to an early grave, trying to get <laughs> pregnant with yeah. all the, you know, emotion with it. So I can, um, I can imagine that's quite a, like a mixture too, you know, like you want to be happy for her and celebrate her. And, and at the same time feeling, you know, I, I don't know if it's resentful or, or whatever, and not necessarily at her, but just at the, you know, the, the situation, the situation. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely was all of those things. And, and also this feeling of like, as the big sister, it's my job to to make it safe for her to come to me. Mm. And it's my job to, to, um, to not let my nonsense be a barrier for her. Um, which, you know, it all worked out fantastically well because just a few weeks later, I find out that I'm pregnant and I could tell from, from very early on, like from, from the day that I found out I was pregnant, that something was different. Yeah. Something was vastly different this time around. I was tired. I almost felt like I was walking through quicksand. Um, and just, I was, um, I felt really like heavy and I couldn't, I couldn't describe it to anyone where it made sense. It just felt like I was in a fog all the time. Mm -hmm. And my husband tried to rationalize it to me and say, Oh, it's five years later since you've had your last baby, you know, you're in your thirties. Now you were in your twenties before like works more stressful, you know, and he's trying to give me the, the whole pep talk and I'm like, yeah. no, it's different. It is different. Um, so, um, because of my history, they got me in for an ultrasound. So at eight and a half weeks along, which is kind of early for a lot of ultrasounds, they got me in for an ultrasound. Um, thankfully my husband was able to be there and they kept me, uh, well, I will say too, that my, my oldest, my single pen, um, told me the night before this ultrasound that we, we had three babies and I jokingly said to her, no, no, no. Um, humans have like individuals and sometimes twins, but we don't have litters of babies. Like yeah, that's, yeah. Not how, that's not how it works. <laughs> um, so I did end up having to eat crow later, but um, <laughs> all of that to say I'm in there getting the ultrasound and obviously I've had a lot of heartbreak and I've had a lot of really negative ultrasounds and yeah. Um, I've so spent you're probably a lot bracing of- for that a little bit. Yeah. 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 I was, I was all sorts of nervous. Um, and while I'm there on the table doing the ultrasound, the, one of the things that they do if they're anticipating bad news is they keep the ultrasound screen turned away from you hmm. while they take measurements and kind of get their arms around whatever the given situation is. And so she was doing an awful lot of measurements and I can hear her clicking on the little thing and, and all that stuff. And the screen is turned away still. And I'm, the panic is starting to kick in and the tears are starting to flow. And she finally says, okay, I'm not sure you're ready for this, but congrats. It's triplets. And she turned the screen to us Wow! and there they were all three of them just little flutters. And, um, what I didn't know until later is that my husband could see the screen and he could see that there was more than one, but he couldn't see how many. So he was thinking it might be twins. 
Um, but of course that punk didn't say anything. So what was that moment like? Were you like, were you overjoyed or were you like, holy shit, how am I going to have three babies all at once? Was it like a combination or what? All of it. All of it. Um, for for people that um, have some experience drinking, I liken it to um, if you've ever been so drunk that you have the spins, and so you put your foot on the floor to try to get the room to stop spinning, sure. and still it spins. That was exactly how it felt to me. Okay. It was like literally so many thoughts happening all at once, oh, and it was man. like laughter, and then tears, and then sheer panic. Like, oh my gosh, we are not qualified for this. I am not the competent person for this task. Like, I know that I've asked and prayed and and begged to be pregnant, but I I literally don't feel like I'm qualified to do this. Um, so yeah, it was it was all sorts of emotions. Um, and I will tell you they're eight and a half now, and it's still all sorts of emotions every day. Um, because it doesn't feel real, but at the same time, it's, um, it is very, very real. And, and we were, you know, as much as, as that was a very complicated, overwhelming, emotional pregnancy, um, I was, I was truly blessed. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wicked, stubborn, um, wicked, stubborn. And, um, and, and we ended up with a good outcome. So, um, I would also say that, um, Part of what made it hard is this doctor that I um, really felt at home with mm-hmm. um, couldn't couldn't um, couldn't do a high risk pregnancy like mine, and so it was basically like, you know, he gives us the big hug and and the pep talk, and this is really exciting, um, but I also I can't do a high risk pregnancy like this, um, so I'm going to have to refer you to a specialist. What was he uh, not qualified or? Well, um, with high risk pregnancies, you have to have, um, you have to have obviously a specialty in these high risk pregnancies, but also you have to have, um, kind of delivery rights at a hospital that has the level of NICU that we needed. So the neonatal intensive care unit that is really needed for having triplets, um, isn't at every hospital. And so our, our options were limited. And the first specialist that we saw, that we saw, um, while um, very experienced, um, and, and I won't call that person out, but I will say that that she spent the better part of an hour, our hour-long appointment, explaining to me all the risks of having triplets, mm. and explaining to me um, the birth defects that they were going to have, and how I was putting my life at risk. And um, basically saying, you know, your the odds are not in your favor. So what you need to do is selectively reduce one or all of these babies. And wow. uh, we had very different reactions to my husband was terrified by this news. And that just made me angry. And when you make me angry, I, I'm like, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so oh, so I, he, he was terrified about the possibility of all of the things that the doctor was saying might happen, you know, yeah, you, them, yeah. be, the birth defect possibility, yeah. you're, you know, yep. possibly being injured or yep. dying. And, 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 you know, the, the kinds of things that the doctor was talking about is 
you know, statistics on the moms that die after delivery or different things like that. And I mean, it's just dark stuff and and certainly not, you know, it's certainly not the joyous journey that most people get when they get pregnant with their child. And and it's like, oh yeah, you're going to have a baby and you're going to come in for these appointments and life's going to be grand. And nine months, you'll have a bundle of joy. They're like, oh no, you're going to have medically fragile children. And Mm. you know, you're, you're going to be in over your head because you'll have three medically fragile children and mm. you're going to, your life is at risk. And so it was really, um, a negative experience and, and, um, God bless my husband for sitting in on that ride. Cause I was like, I'm not playing God. There's a reason why we have three and we are, we're just going to see this journey through. Yeah. And so I, I got on the horn and found a care team that was absolutely spectacular, actually closer to our home. And, um, I was really, really blunt with them at our first appointment. I said, I already know what the risks are. And so, um, there's nothing you're going to say that's going to change my mind. So you're either on team triplets or you're not, and that's how this is going to (laughs) go. So they were very amenable to that plan and kind of, um, jokingly enjoyed my, um, my my stubbornness, I guess. <laughs> I, I am very much a fan myself personally, Mandy, of your stubbornness. This is this is awesome. <laughs> I was like, you don't get to tell me. So um, so yeah, so with that team, um, you know, triplets are normally born between, you know, 20, 28 and 32 weeks gestation, somewhere along there. Um, of course, I had the amazing support of family through work. Everyone at work was just phenomenal. Um, I had a few people career-wise that really questioned me, um, and really made me doubt myself, but for the most part, everybody that I worked with was really, really supportive. And because of that, I was able to carry them to 35 weeks and five days. Oh, wow. So well, well beyond average. Yes. So on delivery day was roughly 16 pounds of baby. Um, I was, we took measurements. I was literally bigger around than I am tall. Um, so wow. that was obviously probably really entertaining to watch me walk places. <laughs> <laughs> more, of a, more of a waddle than a walk. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was like a little penguin dance. So, um, but yeah, so Kaylee was born at four pounds, 12 ounces. Cassidy was at five pounds, five ounces. And Matthew was five pounds, eight ounces. Wow. So Um, pretty, pretty awesome. And I was able to stay working up until about 33 weeks in person. Um, and I really only stopped going to work in person because I did not fit behind the steering wheel of my car. Um, (laughs) I was still, I was like, yeah, let's keep going. But, um, the doctor was like, no, stay at home. (laughs) Mm. So, yeah. Um, and, and there you have it. Then we came home from the hospital. Um, well, my son stayed in the NICU for a week. So when they were okay. exactly a week old, he got to come home from the hospital. The girls came home with me when I was released from the hospital. So, um, yeah, so there we were, our family instantly doubled. We went from a family of three to a family of six. Um, and Crazy. we, so no, uh, so no, no problems other than your son having to stay there for what you said, you said a few, a few days. Yep. Cassidy, baby B had a tumor on her head when she was born that um was benign so we just had to take her i would take her a couple times a year up to bellevue to a specialist get it looked at and a few years back we took her into children's hospital and the amazing team there were able to 
remove the tumor. And now she has like a, like an in finger, you know, pinky finger length, uh, scar on her scalp. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're, I, I don't think that there's words enough to say how incredibly blessed we are, that they are yeah. all healthy. They're happy. Um, they're, they're just three normal kids knocking around. The only difference is, you know, they're kind of like a unit. Um, and they definitely use those powers to outthink us at times. <laughs> I, I bet they do. <laughs> We're outnumbered. Yeah. Um, and I will say too, I mean, I think another challenge that people don't really talk about with having multiples is, you know, we weren't aiming to have multiples. We didn't do IVF and place a bunch of embryos and, and mm -hmm. those kinds of things. There's it, there's an overwhelming amount of judgment and snarky, horrible things that people will say to you when you are out in public with three newborns. It's, it's unreal. <laughs> Not oh, to mention yeah. the fact how expensive it is. And just, I mean, all of it is overwhelming, but yeah, people would say really hateful things. Um, right. I had people say to me, and I don't think that they meant it in a bad way, but I had people say to me, Ooh, better you than me. Or, Oh my God, if I had triplets, I'd kill myself. Just oh, weird man. stuff. And it's like, you know, and, and, or the people that come up to you, <clears throat> the hardest place for me was always Costco. For some reason, it's like all the sample ladies are out giving their samples and, and you, you feel like you're on parade, you know, you're right. not shopping with your kids, but, um, and, and they would say such unsolicited things and ask, ask just really crazy questions like, oh, so, um, did, did you must've done in, you must've done fertility treatments. Oh, you must've placed a bunch of embryos to have triplets or whatever. Wow. And we got pretty good at deflecting those questions. Um, I in bet. fact, somebody made a joke to us at one point about, about it. And my husband like without missing a beat, he was like, nope, you just have to do it three times in one night and then just walk away. <laughs> and I was like, uh, Julie, <laughs> you just left me here. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, have a sense of humor, I suppose, but. Well, yeah, um, yeah a little bit, but you know, that's just, I, that's crazy. I never, crazy. I never really thought about that. I mean, I guess, you know, even though, even though the the, the things that you said at first were kind of insensitive and, and stuff. I could, I could see people like putting themselves in your shoes and saying, you know, weird stuff like that, but, to, but to be, you know, to say things like, Oh, you must've you know, been planting embryos and, you know, yeah. that's, that just yeah. seems a little wacky. Yep. But we live in a wacky world. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I mean, it was really, um, Having triplets is costly. I, I've had people go, oh, three for the price of one. And I'm like, no, three for the price of three. Of three. Like, yeah. Where does that come from? Yeah. <laughs> we didn't get to cut any corners here. Um, right. So, you know, and it was hard because we both had careers enough to where we were financially stable, which also meant that we made too much money to qualify for any sort of assistance programs sure. or anything. So then we're having to literally pay full full price for everything. And, and, you know, that's on us. We, we will bear that burden totally worth it, but you're, you're paying full price for childcare for four children. And, and we're, we're in a situation where, you know, I, I make more money, so it doesn't make sense for me to stay home and quit my job. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, just 
trying to figure out all of those intricacies of how we're going to make it all work and pay, you know, truly insane amounts in childcare and formula and diapers and clothing and, and all of that stuff. And, you know, we, we incurred debt those first few years, just trying to make it all work. Um, you know, and it's, it's debt that we would incur in a heartbeat again, but it mm. nonetheless, it exists. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so we had them and it's just 12 weeks. The triples were 12 weeks old and I had chest pains and I ended up in the ICU with blood clots in my lungs. Oh, wow. And, um, easily the most painful and terrifying thing that I've ever been through. Um, and I had support from the family rallied back and I was able to come back to the work, <clears throat> but it was certainly hearkened back to that original doctor that talked about complications after having triplets and, and mm. all of that stuff. And I'm thinking, well, here's where my stubbornness does me. And, mm. um, thankfully I came out the other side, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it had a lot of a lot of really dark days in the early months with the triplets, not because I wasn't madly in love with them. Um, but just it's, it's overwhelming. It's daunting. There is no escape from it. Um, and literally, you, you know, you become this kind of hamster wheel of doing the same thing over and over again. And it feels, uh, feels really heavy Yeah. when it's supposed to feel really good. And everybody's like, Oh, yay for you. And you're just like, eh. Um, so, and there's a really high rate of suicide amongst parents and multiples, especially higher order multiples, like triplets and above Mm -hmm. where, where it's like, you know, you, you, you do, you just get overwhelmed. I know of just in, there's some Facebook support groups and one of them that I belong to, which is only families of triplets born in the year 2012, which is the year that mine were born. Um, and just within that group alone, I know of three cases of suicide. Oh, wow. Um, that sucks. Yeah. Did so you know any of them? No, no. I mean, aside from like knowing them online. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. But I think for me, a pivotal moment in kind of getting out of that darkness is um, someone saying to me, it's so cool. You get to be a mom of triplets. Mm. And I remember in that moment hearing that and thinking. It is cool. That is really cool. And why have I not ever thought that before? Like I was so busy being overwhelmed and, and, you know, stubborn and whatever else I was being that I didn't really frame it in the right mindset. And I think that that was a pivotal moment for me. Like I can still remember that conversation and, and the, the change that I felt from that being said to me. And, you know, I had plenty of other people that said, you know, there's no way that you can do the demanding career that you have as this professional and still effectively raise triplets and still support your older daughter the way that she needs to be supported and be a mom or be a wife. And, you know, all, and, and I will say, um, I love people like that. I love when people say that you can't do something. I know that, <laughs> that seems weird, but, um, because I would, I would be personally scared to tell you that myself, just, just from the, just from who I know you to be, but um, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. People definitely say that stuff. Yeah, they definitely do. And I, I feel like it's a perfect catalyst. Um, my mom actually, uh, not long after I had the triplets, I, I grew up watching Wonder Woman and um, Wonder Woman kind of made a little resurgence back around then. And my mom bought me like a Wonder Woman shirt and something else. Um, around the time that uh, I had the triplets 
And I remember thinking, all right, this is my new spirit animal. Like yep. this is, <laughs> and it does help. I think it helps to have that in your head. It's very, like, very fitting for you too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so this must've been, um, it must've been a lot, you know, you, uh, the ups and downs having, having four kids and three triplets and the money stuff and, uh, you know, the, the emotions that came along with it. Like, how did you, how did, how did you get support and help in coping with all of this? Um, I think probably the, the biggest thing for me was, first of all, that comment being made to me about how cool it was that I got to be a mom of triplets. Yeah. And, and, and that, that started changing my mind and my thought process. Um, and then I think that it, it snowballed in the sense that I realized at that point, I can't, I can't sit back and be like, this is all my life is going to be. This is all I'm ever going to do with my life. And not that that's a bad thing, but that I, I felt like there's so much more that, that defines me besides just the fact that I'm a triplet mom. Sure. And, and that in this moment right now, it feels like it's all consuming, but there are other parts of me and that I have to feed all those other parts of me. And so I, um, I started digging into, um, just when I, I'd be sitting there feeding the the kids and I'd be scrolling on my phone looking for, you know, first it was like how to, you know, have a better mindset, how to, you know, have more fun in life and, and those kinds of things. And that led me to, um, to looking at the better help app and, and getting an online counselor. And, and then that led me to some other finds of just like, Hey, I can dig myself out of this. I've been through other crazy stuff, but I've got to have a plan. And that plan looks like set some goals. And those goals have to be in small enough segments that I can tackle them with everything that's weighing me down. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and so it was, it was a slow dig at first, but I will say it, step one for me, once I, once I reframed and I kind of got that, the help from the counselor and just kind of realized, okay, this is what I want to do. Like, this is where I'm pointed now and I'm going to have goals and I'm going to, I'm going to thrive instead of survive in this situation with triplets. And so the first thing for me was my relationship with food was unhealthy. Mm. And that unhealthiness with food was feeding other issues. It was feeding my symptoms with PCOS. It was feeding my depression and my sense of worthlessness because I would feel bad. So I would eat bad foods and those bad foods would make me feel worse. And it was just, it was a spiral. And so I was like, okay, I got to tackle this. This is something I can tackle. This will help me be better equipped to, to handle everything else on my plate. And so that's where it started. I started moving more. I started jogging and walking. Um, and in that process, I lost like 70 pounds. And to me, it wasn't, it wasn't about the number. The number was, was an indicator of, of, positive progress, but to right. me, it was about, I am feeling better and, and not feeling better in my body. I'm feeling better in my head and I'm feeling better in my heart. And that helps me be better at everything else that life calls for me to do. Um, and, and I would say, 
you know, it, um, it again gave me opportunities to figure out how to reframe things. Um, and that the world isn't out to get me. Every obstacle in front of me is not permanent. Mm -hmm. I am not, I am not forced to unpack and live in this dark place. Um, and so I just started to make the conscious decision. I will invest more in relationships that make me feel seen, make me feel fulfilled as a person and not waste my time with toxicity and negativity. If, if there's people like that, and we all know people like that, <laughs> that, that yes, do that, do. that literally suck the air out of a room. Yep. Um, you, you, you have permission, you know, and it doesn't have to be a big, you know, emotional, dramatic thing. It can just be you stop allowing them to take up space in your life. You will stop allowing the negative thoughts to take up space in your life. Um, and, Brilliant. and that doesn't mean you call up everybody in your phone list and say, I'm breaking up with you because you're toxic. It's like, you just, you, <laughs> you reallocate your time and effort. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I love that. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this big dramatic thing. It can just be a choice that you make and, and where to invest your time and what, what relationships to invest in. Yep. Yeah. And, and honestly, nobody has time for that crap anyway. Right. Nobody has time for that big dramatic, you know, and you don't get closure from crap like that either. You just, you just grow, you just move. Um, yeah. So at least that's my, my view of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so Mandy, you've done like all this incredible work on yourself and and that's awesome. And like, look, yeah, I, I, the, the, the cool part about this is that you're still a mom of four right? You still have these challenges that are coming up. And, and it sounds like you've created these ways of coping with all of that in a really, really healthy way through getting support from other people and practicing new things around mindset and, you know, different actions and stuff like that. So you can feel better about yourself. So you can feel better in your body and your heart and your mind and your soul, uh, all of it. Yeah. And I, I think too, conquering hard things builds this, um, this sense of pride, but it also can build momentum in you as a human being. If you do hard Absolutely. things and you're like, cool, I can do hard things now, then new challenges come at you and you are able to take that challenge head on and you're able to face it with some degree of of like self-awareness, but also confidence of like, I, I have done some hard things and, yeah. and, and this is another hard thing that's coming at me, but this is going to be really cool. It's going to be super awesome when I, when I accomplish this cool thing, yeah. whatever it is. And, um, I, you know, you know I just think that's such an amazing point that you just made because there, you know, th there are people that are out there listening to this that are going through some stuff, you know? And it's totally normal. And I really, I really love that invitation that you just gave them to do whatever it takes to get through it. Because yeah. when you get through that one, it just, it empowers you to get through yes. the next one. And then you yeah. get through a couple of those crazy, crazy hard things in your life. And then you become almost unstoppable 
if you yep. choose to be, but you've yep. got to be willing to feel the pain and the hurt and go through it and rally uh, with other people around you because nobody gets through any of this stuff alone to your, you know, to your amazing points that you've made here already. And this is, it's just a great calling forward of, of the listeners out there that are going through it to step up and step into it and, and stop finding a way to, um, uh, you know, um, to get around that there's no getting around the going through the whole the 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 you know the hard thing like that old uh military phrase embrace the suck um, yeah i love that i mean yes. i i thought a lot during the infertility journey as well that um that process i'm an innately impatient person if you haven't noticed <laughs> um, and so when things don't happen on my schedule, I do get frustrated um, by those things. And, and that to me was the first time where I was like, this challenge is teaching me something. Mm -hmm. And I could actually tangibly put my finger on what it was teaching me. It was teaching me patience. And it was teaching me that I don't always get to be in the driver's seat. And as soon as I was able to do that, it, it, it made it a little less about like, oh, I'm broken. I'm flawed. It's like, okay, this is, this is a learning journey. I'm, I'm going to get something out of this, yeah. you know, and like right now I'm in the middle of grad school and it's also teaching me some things, not the grad school things that I thought it would teach me, but it's teaching me that, um, like, this is hard. I, I'm, I'm parked on this, this grad school journey before COVID hit and then COVID hit and I'm, I'm called on more as a professional than I ever was. And I, I also have four homeschooling kiddos. And, and so to me, what it is, it is teaching me is the value of a, um, still investing in myself. I'm, I'm still doing that. Um, be prioritizing some things, um, and, and see really, I set out, I said, I was going to do this and, and I, if nothing else, I am proving to my children um, that you can you can decide to make that investment in yourself, whatever the investment is, um, at any point, and and that you are in the driver's seat. Like I, I am one hundred percent responsible for my outcomes in grad school. I, it's me. There is nobody that can do my homework for me. I've asked every person in my household, <laughs> even my dog nobody's, nobody's going to step up and do this. And, um, but, but because I'm in the driver's seat, um, I'm just a few short months away from graduating. And again, it's another one of those things where it's like, this victory will be so sweet. Yeah. 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 And you kind of, you got to remember that too, right? Especially in the hardest parts of the, of the suck, right? When you're embracing <laughs> the suck, you got to remember the goodness that's on the other side of this. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you've, you've already, you've already given us like so many golden nuggets as takeaways from, from this conversation, but I'm curious, I know you, I know you've got some more gold for us. Like, what are you, if you were to, if you were to, if you were to speak directly to somebody who's going through some crazy shit or suffering or struggling out there right now, what would you, what would you tell, what would you um, encourage them to do? Um, I think there's, there's steps. I think it's a process. Um, and I think that the first step 
is acknowledging that you're not okay Mm. and making space for that, accepting that. Um, and, and if any of you are listening right now, you need to hear this. It is okay to not be okay. Mm. It is a hundred percent okay to not be okay. And we all, every single one of us have had points in life where we're not okay. And, and you individually have a 100% success rate in overcoming, um, whatever shit storms life has thrown at you thus far. So, so it's okay to not be okay. Um, but to that end also, you just, because you're not okay, doesn't mean that you have to unpack and live in it. And it doesn't mean that you have to fixate on that. Um, you as an individual are destined for more than that than that space, whatever it is and whatever that looks like to you. Um, the next I would say, and, and I'm a testament to it is find a way to get help. Um, and there's lots of options. You don't have to go to a conventional therapist and sit on a couch and spill your guts to somebody. There's online sources for help. So like I said, I used better help to find an online counselor, but, um, you know, if COVID did anything for us, it made the access to, mental health professionals a little bit easier because we can do a lot of remote stuff. So, um, you know, um, find a friend that's willing to be your accountability buddy, somebody that you trust, um, and, and being able to tell them I'm not okay right now, but I, my plan is to get better. I want to be better. Will you go with me on this journey? Will you, will you walk me through this? And it's not that they have to be any sort of professional or anything like that, but just knowing that somebody out there knows that you don't feel okay right now. Yeah. Um, and, and having them, you know, check in with you and, and, you know, whatever, whatever that check-in looks like to you. Um, I think the next thing is we all have to be self-aware. We get derailed feeling crappy about ourselves because we live um, in a society that tells us that we aren't enough. Yeah. We live in a society that tells us that we don't have the right body type or we don't make enough money or we don't drive the right kind of car or our house isn't big enough or whatever it is. Um, but honestly, you exactly as you are in this moment, whatever that shape or whatever that uh, mental health condition or whatever, whatever it is, whatever you are in this moment right now, right with no intervention is enough mm. unequivocally exactly as you are. Um, and you need to know that about yourself. You need to know yourself and understand what you bring to the table. Um, I firmly believe that, um, there is power in self-talk. The way that we speak to ourselves is what we inherently believe about ourselves. So I, I teach a care leadership class. And one of the exercises that I do is, um, asking people to list ways that they add value to their home, their work, and their community. Because when you know that, when you know what you bring to the table, then you can be resolute in that. So when someone challenges you or life throws you another shit storm or obstacle, you know your inherent value and you can stand firm in the fact that you are enough exactly as you are and not everybody's going to love you. Not everybody's going to want to throw you a parade or whatever, but um <laughs> But, but you can, you can seek solace in that, you know, when things are hard Love that. Um, and, and to that end with regard to self-awareness, you got to own your shit too. Um, a lot of us do a lot of things that are self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guilty of it. So 
I think it's it's important to be introspective and say, what role do I play personally? Because not everything that happens in life is is what happens to you. Some of it is what am I doing actively or passively that is shooting myself in the foot? (laughs) So figure all of that out and get it out of your head and out of your heart, drop the shame and, and know where you stand, wherever that is, because if you, you can't really improve on something if you don't know what it is. So knowing that first, um, another step I would say is needing to have hope. Hope Mm -hmm. connects us to the future. Um, the way that I established hope for myself was by setting goals. So I followed a wonderful mentor called, her name is Pamela Krim, um, who developed this sticky goal program. And I was drawn to it because it took the, the, the big ideas and the big goals that were in my head and made them more manageable and, and small enough to where I could jump in where I was. Um, and I became kind of addicted to celebrating those milestones. Um, and again, back to my stubborn streak proving people wrong. Right. So, um, (laughs) and through that process, I also realized that people are totally what inspire me and what motivate me. And so it, it, through that, it also reiterated for me that from a career perspective, I am in the right place. Mm. I'm doing the right things for me. Um, and, and that, you know, investment in others helped me get excited about my role in life too. It made me feel reinvigorated. Um, Another, you know, like I said, I had a lot of tidbits of little things that I felt helped dig me out. So here's my other one um, is that you need to control your environment and controlling your environment um, means declutter. And, and that's not just the stuff that's laying around, but it's also the emotional clutter, the things that you're holding on to that are weighing you down, things that are uh, barriers to your happiness. Um, and, and social media plays into that a lot. I think that a lot of people um, spend time on social media and they're like, Oh, he's got a better car than me. Oh, he makes better money than me. Oh, she's, you know, she's got well, better behaved kids than me. Right. Oh, you know, she, this, that, and the other thing. And comparison is stealing our joy because what we see of other people is their highlight reel. What they see of us is our highlight reel. Um, and the real stuff is the messy stuff under the surface anyway, that nobody wants to see. Um, so I, you know, comparing yourself, um, and, and just allowing yourself to get bogged down in clutter. Um, I have friends that I love dearly, but I feel like they break their own hearts regularly because they, they're so drawn to the drama and the negativity, um, and, and they're so outwardly focused on what's going on with this person and what's going on with that person that they are missing out on all the joy of what they get to do in this lifetime. Sad. And they're, they're, they're actively breaking their own hearts. And, and it's, it's hard to see when, you know, maybe they don't have the same self-awareness. So it's like not even a conversation you can have with them, right? Like this behavior is destructive. <laughs> you, yeah. You're hurting yourself. Yeah. So, um, so I say, I say that to say, take control of your environment. Um, with regard to the environment around you, but also what you bring to the environment, right? Like the attitude we bring has the ability to shape the environment around us. So, um, and then take ownership of your own happiness, your own health, your own journey. Nothing is worse than handing the reins over to your life, to someone else, because that someone else 
is never going to have the same commitment to your health and happiness and your journey as you are. Um, and it's not their job. It's your own job. Like it's your job to own your journey. And if you're giving the keys to someone else, you are destined to be disappointed. Mm. You are destined to have the rug ripped out from you because at some point, and it may not be early on, but at some point they will choose themselves and their own needs over what your needs are. And then you're going to be heartbroken and you're going to have nobody to blame but yourself because you just literally handed them the keys and said, here, mess me up. (laughs) Terrible. So, yeah. And then I, I'd say just my last, my last tidbit um, is to pick a mantra, pick something that can be a guiding principle for you. Um, The phrase that I've used consistently over the last five years um, in battling my demons um, is life gets better when you get better. Yeah. And I measure a lot of things against that phrase. Mm. Um, The life that I want, the life that you want will not fall out of the sky magically into my lap, wrapped in a pretty purple sparkly bow, just how I want it. That's not what's going to happen. So, so why would I spend that precious time waiting? Um, Why not just go out and just grab it? Um, You know, move in the direction of, of what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I would just say to that, um, you've really got to own the journey and your own role in the journey. And that means putting in the work. It means, um, when you're putting in the work and you're digging deep, um, those good things will manifest themselves. Right. Um, and like we said earlier, it's a catalyst, right? You, you do good things and then more good things. happen. Yep, <laughs> and right. so it's like, you're, you're winning. And I've found that when I'm in that kind of, I'm dragging ass mentality and I'm avoiding action. That's really when the bad thoughts and my anxiety are the worst. Yeah. They're, they feel paralyzing. Um, and, and we're not perfect. I've had plenty of setbacks. Um, but that's the really cool thing about life and, and this awesome journey is you have the right to bounce back and, and really you have the responsibility to bounce back. I love that. Um, and, and the bounce back is sometimes so much bigger and better than the setback. So focus on that, focus on where you're going and, and the rest can come to, can come together. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, I can, I can say a couple of things here, Mandy. Number one is you have, you have made me a fan. You have, you have in this, uh, um, in the, in the conversations that we've had, and especially in this interview here, you have become one of my heroes. Uh, (laughs) As a matter of fact, I, I will just uh, acknowledge you for being superwoman personified here today. Um, You know, your, your story is incredible and you're, you're just, you're amazing. You're just this bright, beautiful soul who is completely resilient. And, um, you know, you've been through stuff that, you know, nobody should ever go through. And I just really get that, that that's normal, you know, and that our listeners are going through some stuff too. And that your, you know, your story of how you've 
masterfully lived through all of those hard things and worked through them. And now you have all of these golden nuggets that you've just shared with us here today so eloquently. It's just, it's amazing. So you're a gift and thank you for uh, being willing to, you know, come on the show here today and give that gift to all of our listeners. I appreciate it. And I was just so humbled by the invitation to get to be a part of this. Um, so if anybody out there is listening, my my true hope out of this is that one of the things that I've said today, even one, just a yeah. tiny one, resonates with somebody. And um, if you're in a dark place, that it's just the just the motivation or just the reframing that you need to go out and conquer something. And and that one thing will snowball. Yeah. Very well said. And with that, Mandy, thanks again for being here. Mandy Kime, everybody. She is the director of safety for AGC Washington. And um, yeah, just again, very much appreciate you sharing your story here today. And we're signing off now. Again, my name is Mick Carbo. I am your host of the Tragedy to Triumph podcast, and we'll see you all next week. It's our hope that this story makes a difference for another person. If it helps one person, we believe we've done our work. Consider telling a friend about this podcast. You might just make a difference for them too. Accomplishment Coaching, the world's finest coaches training program. I owe much of the man I am today to the work I've done and the relationships I've built in this community. For anybody out there who wants to start a career as a coach or enhance their skills as a coach, look no further. Transform your life and set yourself up to win in your coaching business at the same time. Find out more at accomplishmentcoaching.com.